From Chagdagumpa Riggs and Lane, this is Listen, Contemplate, Meditate, a podcast featuring a range of teachings from the Buddhist tradition presented by Lamas of Chagdagumpa Foundation. Our website is chagdagumpa.org. So I'm very happy to uh, welcome you to the Otsaling Temple. Uh, this is a place where we study and practice Vajrayana Buddhism. But in terms of really understanding what Vajrayana Buddhism is, you kind of have to understand the whole of the Buddhist idea. Lord Buddha attained enlightenment as a mendicant, wandering fellow who abandoned his kingdom in order to find a greater solution. He realized that a social solution wasn't sufficient. And he realized that even when we are happy, that happiness is impermanent. So the only way to really produce happiness and fulfillment as he felt a responsibility towards the happiness and fulfillment of others, the only way to accomplish that was to come to a greater dimension of realization about what's really true, to find solutions to the basic dilemma of ordinary being. There is a dilemma. Most of us don't really pay too much attention to the dilemma. We're sort of just busy trying to be happy day by day. We're trying to like, you know, grow up, get somewhere, accomplish something, and then we don't think about it after that. But we have ongoing issues that affect all of us, not only human beings, but animal beings and any kind of being. Experiences birth and sickness and aging and death. And those are not optional. That's what we have. So that is our dilemma. We call this suffering. This is called samsara. In all of the ways in which the ranges of possibility that can be experienced within a diminished state of mind, when the state of mind is less than complete, then we have issues and dilemmas that are suffering. It isn't that we can't be happy for a weekend or an afternoon. I mean, I think a weekend might be a bit much. Maybe an afternoon we could do it. Or maybe an evening before some reality hits somebody says something a little wrong. Maybe they didn't even say it wrong. They just looked a little wrong. And then doubt, insecurity, hope, fear, anguish, and disappointment, betrayal. And eventually, even your own body will betray you. Because that is the dilemma. It's not that it must be that way. But it is that way. But it's not that there's no option about that. And this is why the Buddha taught. The Buddha taught because there is an option, there are solutions, the dilemma can be treated. 
It's just like an illness. If you have an illness, means you have a state of wellness that you are in a in an in an inappropriate position. Wellness and illness. In this case, wellness is enlightenment. And it is the natural way we should be. But we aren't. We aren't because we have a sickness. That sickness looks like it's something external. It looks like it's something, you know, that happens to us. But actually, the sickness comes from us. The not knowing of our own Buddha nature. The not knowing of our greater capacity. The limitation of our own mind. Therefore, the limitation of our body, and therefore, the limitation of everything that we experience. Because you experience your life through your mind. Your eyes see, your mind detects what you see. If your mind is limited, the detection, the results, the conclusions are limited. So therefore... It is possible to attain wellness. But you need to understand that we, we have a sickness. We are unwell. And it's not just us. It's every unenlightened being is in a state of unwellness. Even though they could be well, they are in a state of unwellness. And that state of unwellness has natural consequences. Not only are there natural consequences, we continue to perpetuate the causes and conditions that create the unwellness. And so we have a dilemma. A spiritual path, particularly um, the Buddhist spiritual path, is a solution, according to the Buddhist teachings, the solution for solving this dilemma. And it means that you have to begin to change your mind. You have to realize where the unwellness sits. Knowing that the unwellness sits with our mind, then we can start to deal with that. But in order to deal with that, you need a good doctor, you need good medicine, and you need good character and uh, diligence patience, to deal with the problem, to take the medicine, and yes, you can realize your wellness, not only yours. You can help all beings experience wellness, not just in the context of you're healthy in this life, but the absolute wellness, the experience of enlightenment. So the Buddha taught 84,000 methods to use, to like the, the cornucopia of medicine that we have in our system of, of medicine. It's like that, this cornucopia of methods for, for helping the body and the speech and the mind be well. It's categorized into three big categories. The Hinayana path, 
that the Buddha taught, the Mahayana path that the Buddha taught, and the Vajrayana path that the Buddha taught. The methods are different according to how people experience their illness. Some methods are very slow, 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 slow methods that over so many, many lifetimes will produce a cure. The Hinayana tradition is a very slow path that takes many, 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 many lifetimes and then will produce a cure. The Mahayana tradition is a faster path. It uses more uh, extraordinary methods. The medicine is, uh, is, is great. We say maha means great, the great path. In 16 lifetimes, 32 lifetimes, you can produce a cure. So here you might have noticed we're talking about lifetimes. Most of us modern people, we don't even think in terms of lifetimes. We think in terms of like this week, maybe. Next week. Paulista says everything's next week. Next week. I hate that. I'm not supposed to hate things, but I don't like that. I don't believe in next week. Who knows if I'll live long enough for next week. So I like now. Everything now. Vajrayana Buddhism is extremely fast. It's extraordinary methods. Think of it like someone who's climbing Mount Everest on the flat plains. Eventually they will get to the top of the mountain. Eventually, eventually, some lifetime after that long they'll get there. That's like Hinayana. Mahayana, you're on the mountain, but still, how long does it take to get up the foothills, to get up the, 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 the lower level camps, to get to really the top? Vajrayana Buddhism is the, is the machines, the pulleys, the spike boots, the hammers. It's the technique. And you have to be strong. So Vajrayana, Vajrayana Buddhism that we practice here is kind of sophisticated, I would say. Sophisticated in its methodology. Swift in its ascent. And, and you can fall. I mean, if you fall on the flatlands, you, it's okay. I mean, not so nice, but you can get up again. But you fall on those, those rock faces going straight up. So you have to be taught well. You need a good teacher. You need good equipment. And you need good character and strength. And then, very quickly, you can sit on the top of the mountain. So Vajrayana is very, very extraordinary. The methods come to us from Tibet with an unbroken lineage through very great masters. It's not something we read about in a book. This is a whispered tradition that comes to us from one who knows to one who could know. It's not, the Vajrayana tradition is not a tradition where we're trying to convince people to practice Vajrayana Buddhism. People who practice Vajrayana Buddhism have their own their own karmic connection, their own link, uh, 
their own um, kind of interior timeline. They are people who have a compelling understanding of the necessity to solve the dilemma. It means that they are people who understand the dilemma. Nowadays, as we're just introducing Vajrayana Buddhism to the West, it takes a, quite a bit of education to understand what it's really saying. So, therefore, there are lectures like this, so that people could understand. Basically, what's being presented to us is that there is a, there's a distortion in the way that our mind works. And that distortion is producing a sensation of our reality that's not exactly true. The only way I can kind of explain this is a little bit like the flat earth people. Flat earth people saw the horizon and saw that they couldn't see farther than the horizon, so the horizon must be an edge. They made a conclusion that seeing the edge like that was where you could fall off. They came to a wrong conclusion based on a seemingly authentic perception. That's what we do every day. We come to certain conclusions based on seemingly true perceptions, which are not exactly true. We are very uh, superficial in our understanding of ourselves and our world. And so we have certain kinds of experiences like the sensation of of kind of um, plopping into this world, like when we were born, we just came into this world, and then the whole world is already spinning, and we just have to figure out how to get along with it. And it, we have the sensation of ourself and everything else that's not me. Everything else that's something else. That, that's really not even questioned. But it's a personal perception of me and what's not me. But think about it. How different all of us see the world. How you see the world, how I see the world, how a bird sees the world. We all see the world differently based on our mind's capacity to understand our perceptions. For the flat earth people, it was never true that the earth was flat. Never. That was an error in perception. And as a result of an error in perception, there were lots of um, secondary and tertiary results and conclusions that built more problems, that built more problems, that built more problems based on a mistake of the mind. And so we do this. Now we know the earth is not flat. We know we live on a planet, correct? If you don't know that, you need to come and talk to me, okay? We live on a planet, 
but we still see the edge. We just know that it's not an edge. Now we see everything in twos. What is me, what is not me. There's two. We have a split in our perception. That's not true. The truth of things has no division. But our mind and the way we see things produces a division that we seem to think is really a division, and we build our whole experience of reality based on a wrong perception. And we have war. And we have mortality. And we have time. We have up and down. What's up? Excuse me, what does up mean? Here's up, but on the other side of the planet, where's up? And if you're not on the planet and you're in space, where's up? But we have up, we have down. We have a perception, we have an experience of gravity, we have an experience of up and down, but it's relative. It's relative to our experience of our perceptions. When you live in the bottom of the sea, you're a fish who lives by some hot hole there. Where is up? It's not absolutely true. Up and down and left and right. Good and bad. It's not absolutely true. But it is what we experience like the flat earth people, experienced falling off. You can't fall off our earth. You might fall down, but you can't fall off. That was not true. So Buddha, Buddhism, is sort of like a bunch of people who are thinking about and trying to understand and follow what the Buddha taught. The Buddha didn't, taught, didn't teach Buddhism. The Buddha simply taught what is true. Not just what's true to you and then differently what's true to me, but what's absolutely true. Absolutely. For us as ordinary people in an ordinary world, our ordinary flat earth approach to things, we're a little bit like a dog chasing its tail. You know, a dog's got places to go and things to do until he sees his tail. And then, what is that? And he starts chasing the tail. He never catches, really. I mean, maybe barely sort of kind of might, if his tail's long, he might get a mouthful of something like that. But... It's not really catching anything. In samsara, when we have these distortions of mind that we believe are true, we're chasing that. We have hope on our tail. We're chasing our tail, thinking we're going to get something, but nothing here is keepable. 
Nothing here is even havable, even for a second. Even in a second it has changed. It's all impermanent. This is where the Buddha started. Everything is impermanent. It's not impermanent just because it wasn't once. And now it is. And someday it won't be. It's impermanent even as it's happening. It's not remaining the same at all. So you think you can catch it and have it and put it in your pocket, but it's changing. It's not even able to support its own name because it has already changed. Everything that we think is true is impermanent. It's composite. It falls apart. It disassociates. Whatever has come together disassociates. No option about that, people. But do we think about that? Do we realize when we get it that's not keepable? No. We think we can keep things. We fight over them. We have divorces that would curl your hair. They are so possessive. And nothing can be kept. Nothing can even be grasped that didn't change. So the Buddha taught Some people listened. And the Buddha taught in different ways for different people's capacity. So someone asked the Buddha, well, what do I do? I have to get out of this. This is trouble. I mean, I'm, I'm in trouble. What do I do? And the Buddha said, do no harm. Don't harm anyone. And more than that, help people. Be kind, be good, be generous. Help people. And then the Buddha said, more than that, if you care about others more than yourself, this is good. Love, compassion. If you really want to help yourself, do no harm and do good. That's going to help you. But if you really care about others, then love, compassion, wisdom, and you will attain enlightenment. Because that quality of caring about others more than yourself will free you from the confines of a mistake in our mind, the mistake of self-clinging. Because... It can't be kept. So caring about others is a path. It's a path to enlightenment. And then someone must have asked the Buddha, well, okay, I, I'm, I, I, I thank you very much. I, I'm going to do that. But can't I do that quickly? Isn't there some way to do this more quickly? I mean, death is going to intervene before I can accomplish this. Who knows if I can really support being kind and good in another life? 
you know, it's hard sometimes on a difficult day to be kind. What about a difficult life? So it was a good question to ask the Buddha. You know, how do I do this quickly? And that is the basis of Vajrayana Buddhism. Vajrayana Buddhism is for a few. It's not for everyone. But Vajrayana Buddhism is the swiftest path to realize the truth. Now, if you think about it, how many generations do you think it took the flat earth people to realize the earth wasn't flat? It took quite a few generations. There were a few like nerdy people who probably got it, you know, kind of a, what do you would say, a, a novelty idea that the earth isn't flat, that we're the center of the universe, you know, kind of thing. Some, some nerds, some, some scholars probably for the first two generations. But then slowly, slowly it began to filter in. And now every kid, I mean, unless you live in the forest somewhere and you never had education, there are probably some people who still think the earth is flat somewhere. So it takes generations. So for us to want to accomplish this quickly, it's really kind of rare to be able to really make use of the swiftest path, Vajrayana Buddhism. What is so unique about Vajrayana Buddhism is that Vajrayana Buddhism uses the truth of enlightenment as the path to enlightenment. In other words, it's just using the truth. Instead of an adaptation of the truth that we could like. So Vajrayana Buddhism requires a qualified teacher and a qualified student. And then in that kind of environment, it's possible with a whispered tradition to gain the methods, to use the methods, and in the course of a single lifetime to accomplish great spiritual maturity and bring benefit to whoever sees you or hears you or touches you or even remembers your name. Because your name means truth. So people, people often ask me, you know, how to get started. And how you really get started is by having a teacher. And in order to really cultivate having a teacher, you need to listen to the teachings. And listening to the teachings, you have a, f- a feeling that it makes sense, a feeling that it's important, a feeling that, okay, I can see why this is important and necessary. And then you refer to the teacher more for more teachings. And it is really through the relationship with the teacher that you start to develop and hone your path, your way. Basically, all of us move through certain steps. The step of taking refuge, which means, you know, is like making it clear to yourself that you value the Buddhist teachings that you value the Buddha as a teacher, the teachings themselves as of worthy principles to follow, and 
the Sangha as people that you find as good examples and helpful friends and associates that you know, are supportive to your path. This is called refuge in the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Refuge. Refuge means, okay, I'm going to use this. I'm going to rely on this. This is something that can help me. So I'm going to use this. Refuge. Then bodhicitta is the next step, which is like, why? Why do that? Well, yes, it helps me. But more than just helping you, there's all the suffering of every other being in this world who's confused by their own mind. You know, we're not here alone. We're not actually even here secondarily to anyone else. All of us have the same story. We all have the same dilemma. So how do we produce a solution that works for every being? This puts you into the category of Mahayana, the path of altruistic aspiration for the benefit of all beings, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter how they behave. Because oftentimes, you know, when people are unwell, they're not able to behave well. And to just expect someone to behave well when their mind is not well, that's not going to work. The mind is the source of your words. The mind is the source of your actions. If the mind is not well, what can you expect of others? So then you begin to realize, okay, treating my mind to be well must be done in order that all beings' minds can be well. It's not personally exclusive that I want to attain enlightenment. Because how can it be when I'm really not separate from others? So, then, on this greater altruistic aspiration for all beings to be well, to attain enlightenment, then there are the methods. How do I, am I going to do this? Well, I am going to do this by using the truth of enlightenment as the path. And that means you have to have a good introduction to truth. That's what we call empowerment. Receiving empowerment is receiving an introduction to truth and receiving the methods that you can use to experience truth beyond your own small mind. So again, it requires the teacher. It requires the relationship, a working relationship with a source of wisdom in order that you could experience wisdom. Not that the source of, of wisdom has some kind of, um, you know, exclusive right to wisdom that you don't have or that you're going to go buy it from them. It has nothing to do with anything like that. It has to do with, it's almost like a mirror. You have beautiful faces, but you can't see your own face without using a mirror. I mean, maybe you could see the side of your nose if you have a particularly ample nose. Maybe. But you can't see your own face. Other people can see your face, but you can't. So you need a mirror. But your mirror needs to be accurate. 
If the mirror has distortion in it, you're not getting a real image of your face. And even then, it's not exactly your face. So the nature of your mind is not exactly seeable directly. Otherwise, we would have been looking at it a long time ago, but we're not. We're looking out. We're not able to look back very well. So what we get in empowerment is a, a very sophisticated mirror to see the true nature of your own mind beyond the limits of your own capacity to perceive <coughs> through the blessing of the Lama, through the teacher, through the methods. We call the Lama, the Yidam is the way that we use the methods of the practice. The meditational deity is not a deity who lives in heaven somewhere. A meditational deity is your picture of truth. You use your picture of truth, your mirror, and you begin to see the true nature of your own mind. When you experience the true nature of your mind, it's called dakini. Daka is male, dakini is female. That is your mind. That is the same mind as the mind of the Lama. They're not really different. Your mind and the mind of the Lama or any other being's mind is not actually different. The only difference is whether you see it or not. That's the difference. And just, you know, me, little old me, wanting to see little old me, my mind, you know, how cool is that, is not going to work. Because now we're using Eo. And Eo is the distortion maker of the mind. It doesn't give you the true experience of your being. Like a mask does not tell you what you look like. Although you might wear it, it's not really who you are. The point of the Buddhist teachings is to eliminate the suffering of not knowing who you are and to help you find the methods efficiently, find the methods to experience the nature of your mind and to help you deal with all the times that you stop to chase your tail. Because every time you start chasing your tail, you lose your path. Those are called the habits of ordinary, self-centered perceptions. And there's no way through when you're chasing your tail. So the job of the Lama, why the Lama is so important to us, is because the Lama helps us eliminate these tendencies to believe in the habits of our own mind. The Lama is the one who teaches us and educates us to understand who is Buddha, what is Buddha, where is Buddha, how do we accomplish Buddha, and then how to enjoy and exercise a path that can actually lead you to the direct experience of the nature of your mind in all of its qualities and timeless perfection. 
not just for you, but for everyone connected to you, for everyone who knows you or sees you or touches you, even for the kahapato who bites you, that by connecting to you would be the way and the means that he could attain enlightenment. Kepena for unenlightened being. Because unenlightened being is not without perfection. They just don't know it. So, that's a very quick introduction, which I generally make on Sundays. But this next Saturday I'm giving empowerment. If you're interested in in engaging a Buddhist path, a Vajrayana Buddhist path, you should participate in the empowerment Saturday morning. That means you come to start proceeding, not just for you, but for all beings. However much time we have left in this life is not clear. But to use the time that you have for attaining enlightenment, Rinpoche, my teacher, he always said, that's the best thing you can do with this life, is use it to attain enlightenment. If you're not going to do that, and some people really are not, it's, it's not a surprise to me. Because, you know, chasing the tail is very com- compelling. You might catch it if you chase hard enough, if you're smart enough. So not everybody is going to use a spiritual path. But even if you don't, you should enjoy this life. Because this human life is really a pleasure. Even though we have a great dilemma, this is a good life. And you shouldn't waste it fighting and arguing and you know, being mad and upset about things. You shouldn't waste it just because things don't go your way. You should enjoy it, because this is, as Rinpoche said, this is the picnic. This is the life we've waited for. Many of us have looked forward to this life that we could make a way to attain enlightenment. But even if you're not going to use it for that purpose, then use it to to practice your kindness. Even when people can't be nice to you, Nothing is really keepable here. It's kind of like sitting on a lovely park bench. You don't get to keep the bench. It doesn't really belong to you. But in that you can sit there and enjoy it for a while, that's lovely. This podcast is supported by the generosity and kindness of Chagdagumpa members and donors. If you're interested in becoming a member, making a donation, or if you want to learn more about Chagdagumpa, feel free to go to chagdagumpa.org.